Good morning, Erin. How are you today? Good morning. I'm tired. I don't know why. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah, but I've had a little bit of a sickly child, though, and I just wonder if my very fantastically informed immune system is trying to clean that up for me, mm. as I've been asking it to. Yeah. So maybe that's it. But I could get back in the bed and sleep for a, a minute, I think. I could do that. I think you should probably do that. I think sometimes you just owe it to yourself to just take a rest day. It's true, but then there's that part of me that feels like I have so much. <laughs> yeah, but I feel I like we, we all know. Well, I feel like sometimes for me, I recognize that my productivity levels when I'm feeling that way are so poor that I'm either going to stress myself out more by trying to hustle and get a quarter of the workload I could get done instead of just taking a nap and taking it easy like I need to and making myself feel refreshed and then actually being able to tackle it the next day at full throttle. So sometimes you just have to indulge in that. And I support that. So I support that dream of yours, Erin. Indulge <laughs> in it. I, it. It's possible. It's possible. We had a really busy weekend. Yeah. And then Monday and Tuesday were really busy. Yeah. And that's not done yet. So I maybe that is the best idea because I agree. I don't really love a half productive errand. I just mm. hate it when I feel like I'm sledging through my stuff. For sure. And then you make silly errors. Not you, but I'm talking about me. But I make silly errors. I spend way too much time on things that typically take me no time at all to complete. I just think all around like rest and then try again later. Like, I think, I don't know, sometimes you got to listen to your body and you're the person who's always told me that. So oh my now I'm telling you, you. Tell the people. I tell all the people. <laughs> yes. I tell you all to listen. It, what is that saying though? Sometimes it's hard to swallow your own medicine or what is it? Yeah. What is yeah. something like that? I think uh, I got that wrong. Yeah. Take your own advice. Yeah, swallow your own medicine. Is. I'm sure there's all kinds of phrases. I'm sure. Phraseologies. Yeah. Oh, you're probably so right. So take some R&R &R and listen to this episode with Colleen because it's so good. Um, <laughs> on today's episode, we have actually one of our TFR licensed mental health counselors is on, um, Colleen Brown. She's fantastic. And we talk about sex and intimacy with your partner and how to kind of mediate that while going through infertility or any other kind of stressful time in your life. And it's really special. And I love Colleen. And I feel like I should have been like drinking wine while we were recording this episode and not like <laughs> sitting with my headphones on because I felt like it was more of like a patio convo. <laughs> but um, it's just really good. So I recommend you pour yourself a glass of wine or make a cocktail or a hot cup of tea and snuggle up and listen close because she has so many great things to say. Is it too early for cocktails? <laughs> Not in my world. <laughs> a brandy toddy. That's oh, what I'll have. That would probably make you feel better all around. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, but I am about to switch it over to a tea. I really needed a coffee this morning. I also have a busy week this week, so I really needed a cup of coffee. But also in other news... 
just to remind you guys, we still are offering um, in the Fertility Resort free 30 days. So just head over to thefertilityresort.com or send it to a loved one who could use the extra support over this holiday season. So do that. And in podcast news, we actually are going to take a holiday break. Um, so we will not have any new episodes for the next two weeks as Aaron and I's lives in the next two weeks are about to ramp up quite a bit more on that later. So we'll be back on, I believe it's January 4th with, um, our next episode of protected space and lots of big life updates. (laughs) So, um, get prepared for that. So it'll be really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Enjoy. yourself to us tell us all about gosh, I forgot about this part I did see it on the outline where do you come from <laughs> my name is Colleen Brown I'm um, a native to Pensacola I've lived a few other places and landed here and love being with this community of people and love being able to be of service in the place that I'm from um, I also love leading retreats and groups, um, now working at a wellness center, um, for recovery and wellness for women that just opened here. And, you know, we take the women, the residents to the beach and we take them for walks. So I just love that we live in this beautiful natural world that can be so therapeutic and healing. I am married. We just celebrated nine years together and, um, I have three sons aged six and a half, three and a half and two. So we are in it. Um, (laughs) and it's grueling and amazing and always interesting, never boring. (laughs) Oh, I have a lot of boredom. Um, although kids can be pretty boring sometimes. Uh, I have a private practice that I've had since 2014, and um, I work with teens and adults and couples and families. Um, I love love seeing teens because I feel like I can relate to the vulnerable awkwardness of that phase that really never leaves us in adulthood. We just learn to relate to it in a different way. I love giving teens the sex education that I wish I had, that I wish they were getting in their school system. Um, I love giving adults sex education that I I wish they had gotten or could access, you know, not, I don't think you should have to go to therapy to learn about how to be a a healthy human and a a healthy sexual being. Um, I love couples work because I feel like, you know, you can present any way you want in individual therapy. 
but when you show up with your spouse, um, shit really gets real. And, you know, I see relationships as growth machines. They show us the parts of ourselves that we could effectively ignore if we were not in that relationship. Um, so it's often uncomfortable and annoying, but, um, I know that I'm a better person now because my husband, um, is a very strong individual and, um, I've been in, in relationships with people who are a little more passive and it's not cute for me. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that he holds me accountable and is really comfortable giving feedback. And, um, that has been pretty uncomfortable for me at times in our relationship, but I'm grateful that I was able to make it through to the other side. And that's a big part of what guides me in my work with other people is like, I can trust them to hear the uncomfortable feedback that I may give them or their family members may give them. And it's going to be their greatest gift that they get in this world is being, having the ego strength to hear some uncomfortable things about yourself and be willing to grow from it. Um, I'm super excited about joining forces with you two, um, wonderful, intelligent, strong women who are just making changes in the world based on needs that you saw or needs that you experienced. Uh, I think that is a big part of how the world becomes a better place. And we're like, wait, this could be better. (laughs) Uh, And I'm motivated to do the hard work of creating something and the vulnerable work of creating something Uh, and creating something meaningful, creating something useful and um, something really beautiful that is certainly a need in our community. And, you know, infertility is looking like an epidemic. And, you know, that one in six statistic is is pretty um, eye-opening. And so it's not something that we can just like throw a meme at or a reel. And I think we've seen that that's not cutting the mustard. (laughs) And so really creating, I love the, the title protected space. Thank you. Yeah, creating a space that's like, this is what we wish existed for those who needed it and will need it. So creating it for those who are in need now and, you know, we'll continue to really change the game, change how it's done. And um, so it's an honor to play a small role in this creative process that y'all are moving and grooving with. And um, yeah, at our first meeting... I felt like could have been a podcast episode and uh-huh. it was such a, a fun, I mean, we could have sat there for hours mm-hmm. uh, sharing ideas and dreams and cheering each other on. And, you know, I love the a space where women can support other women. And um, I think it's cool that I've ended up in a women run, another women run facility and um, and still moving and grooving with my private practice. And I'm grateful for the support of our nanny. <laughs> who um, really allows me to, to be able to do this work and, and, you know, the grandparents that are a part of um, our family system functioning um, with me working. So, cause I love my work and I, um, I feel so filled up by it and I do think it makes me a better mom. Um, I was not a good stay at home mom. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, uh, what, how, what's the next step? Um, and I think it's wonderful that, when women can find what works for them and, and have resources to, to support their needs um, in, in whatever stage of life that they're in. So 
I wasn't, I wasn't really cut out to be a stay-at-home mom either. So I get that. It's grueling. I think grueling is such a good word for it. I never think about that word, but it's true. It is grueling, but it is amazing. Like you said, it's just, uh, the days are so interesting. One never knows what might show up. Truth. Have the children in the realm. (laughs) Yeah. And like from an ideal standpoint, like homeschooling. Yes. Love that. Being the person who attends to my kids, oh, yes. But the actual living of it, right. oh, no. Like, no, hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass. Um, so Thank all women who are the doing that, high five, cheers, you know, more power to you. And um, I think that they're creating something really beautiful for their children and for themselves, if that's a fit for them. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, and I'm so grateful that my oldest now is at the, um, you know, the new school in Pensacola that allows kids to have some freedom and autonomy. And I'm so grateful for, that those mothers also created something to meet a need that, you know, they, that they recognized. Um, so that, um, yeah, there's a lot of women that have made where I am in my work, a, a real possibility. And, um, I'm very grateful. So I just want to say that one of the things that has always really attracted me to you is this relief. It's just a great combination. And I think it's a rare combination of a really fun, bubbly, high energy, highly animated um, enthusiasm for all the things, right? For whatever is happening, you're typically like very expressive. And I love that because I too can be animated and expressive in all the things. But then there's this other like deep, wizened, grounded, earth mother, born of creation person. And you get both of those in this kind of simultaneous, it's like so yin and yang to each other. And I just love it. It really, I don't know, it's kind of titillating to me. It's really exciting. Um, so when I hear you talk, I'm always like, what's she going to say? <laughs> I never know what you're going to say because you'll say Same, me neither. hilarious. Right. You'll be hilarious and then like so thought provoking at the same time. And I just have always really been magnetized to that. So if you didn't know why, I was kind of adamant, like I really want Colleen to to join us in some of these things, because I think that you have this way of cutting through all the bullshit without even trying. Like you don't even, it's it's not something that you've cultivated to do. You just have this way of going right to the meat of the matter that's not too much it's not too forward it's not offensive it doesn't feel prying it doesn't feel like a ploy it doesn't feel like anything it's just sort of natural and I think people can really easy like oh I can just take this whole costume off and we're just going to do the thing great and I love that like it's just a very expedited root of the matter and I, I just love it it's disarming in the way that it happens Well, you're, I love that you love it. And, (laughs) you know, it, it wasn't, it's not intentionally cultivated, but in some ways it is like, I, I do feel pretty drained by some kind of small talky type social interactions. So, um, you know, as someone who wanted to connect deeply with other women and other people, 
but didn't want to do it that way, the way that we've been taught to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of sort of felt compelled to be creative about what kind of relationships do I want to create? And if those feel like they're not filling me up and draining me of my will to live, um, what would it look like if I showed up fully? And what it looks like is that people who are not into it go far, far away. Right. Right. I get that. I mean, I think I have that kind of effect on people too. Like some people come in the clinic and I'm like, I don't think you're for me. I don't, I don't think I'm the right fit for sure. you or where you are or what this is or whatever. And that's fine. Cause this for sure. Is I don't want to work with anyone that is not a, a really symbiotic fit. Right. Right. And there are better people them. for the right things at the right time. And if that's right. what you need, then let us find you that person and you go get that bucket filled up somewhere else. Cause Absolutely. I can't do it any other way than the way that I do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Again, I could, but I don't want to. I don't want to censor myself and I don't want to feel drained. And when the therapeutic relationship is really in alignment, I can show up fully as myself and I feel really filled up by the work. This is a funny, I think this is a funny example of this. I um, had this person that came to my office for frozen shoulder, which I see a lot of frozen shoulders. You know, it's not an uncommon condition. And we were talking and just kind of getting established and getting to know each other. And I said, well, this is often, you know, kind of a representation. Is there anything else in your life that you feel like is frozen or stuck or not moving or you're frustrated about? And she, she didn't say anything. She was like, oh, you know, hmm, think about that. And there wasn't any, I didn't have any idea that this was an uh-huh. enormous question. Because mm-hmm. to me, it was like, well, A to B. And then when she came back, she had told her therapist that I asked her this question and these other people. And they were all like, oh, she went there. And I was like, oh, why wouldn't I? I mean, do we want to yeah. see her and like dance around it a bunch of times? Or, or like, why would I not just ask you a, a simple question? Because now you can think about it. And but she wasn't ungrateful. She was very grateful. She just kind of said, my therapist was like, oh, my gosh how did you feel when she asked you that? And I'm like, you've been going to this therapist all these years and she's never asked you that. Why would we yeah, not have that part. turned that rock over yet? So that's what I mean. Like sometimes like I can't do it either. I can't say, okay, well let's, you know, let's harmonize and discuss mm-hmm. your grocery list mm-hmm. a bunch of days. And then maybe I'll think about considering to ask you what, like, really, we don't have time for that. Yeah. Let's save <laughs> you some time. There. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't offensive to her. She wasn't bothered by it. It was just like, wow, I need to think about that. Like, okay, think about it. And, you know, when, when we talk about sex and the human relationship or even, you know, your individual experience of sex, it's, it's very much, you know, I say often there's no such thing as, like, you can't compartmentalize your healing. You can't heal one part of your life, but your sex life stays stagnant. You can't heal your sex life and then have other areas of your life, but I'm unwilling to set boundaries or, you know, speak my truth in other areas of my life. So the compartmentalization of our healing doesn't really exist. I I often say the way that you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm. So we can talk about it in the context of your sex life, which is great because it's a really tangible way to explore all these other things that are happening. Um, You know, emotional life is, is pretty intangible. Um, 
even physical health can can kind of feel nuanced and mysterious and intangible. Um, but it's like, you know, it's it's great to have a real concrete way to explore, okay, you know, what comes up for you when this happens? Is it comfortable for you to feel vulnerable? Do you feel relaxed and safe, you know, with this? Or, or when do you feel triggered? And, you know, um, Esther Perel says, you know, a lot of people say they want to have more sex, but really they just want better sex. They just want to feel like, and which it would be natural that you might have some more sex if it were better. Um, you know, if, <laughs> if you felt safe, if you felt connected, if you felt filled up by it. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room for growth in really feeling powerful, feeling, um, relaxed, feeling safe, feeling nurtured by our sexual experiences. Um, and we get like one cruddy shot at sex education, some abstinence only bullshit, really shame-based stuff. Um, and then we continue to like, that's kind of the soup we're swimming in, like, be pretty indesirable, but not too sexy and um, stay quiet and like, don't really ask for what you need. Hope that you get it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and maybe, you know, be grateful that you're married or whatever. It's just like some, this is like a stream of unhelpful stuff. So by the time somebody gets to, to me, you know, either individually or in their relationship, it's um a lot of the beginning stages are really simple like let's just unlearn you know all of the unhelpful stuff and you know here's some really simple basic stuff that can be tricky and challenging to practice but it's not rocket science it's just you know can you be alive in your body and really trust yourself to articulate when do you feel safe when do you feel comfortable when do you feel excited when do you feel relaxed? You know, when do you feel energized? And when do you feel yourself shut down? Well, I have like two really quick things to say. One, I think the compartmentalization conversation about mental health and or sex education or, you know, sexual health, wellness health, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think that that's just an, an epidemic just in medicine in general. I mean, you have all these different specialists. Nobody wants to work together. Like you think that like your general practitioner is going to like take the lead and like look at the whole body medicine situation. But I think in fertility, like you know, we're fo so focused on like, what is, what are your eggs doing and what are your sperm doing? Nobody ever asks you about your mental health or about how, what Aaron says, like, I'm going to ask, like, how are you eating? How are you pooping? How are you sleeping? You know, your reproductive endocrinologist isn't going to ask those things. They're so focused just on sperm and eggs. And I think that that's just kind of the way that it seems like to me, at least like our system has brought us to that, the way the medical community works is like that you have all these different specialties and subspecialties but there really oftentimes isn't just one doctor that's looking at all of it unless you're Erin she's really just the <laughs> one that does that but like yeah and so I don't know I think the compartmentalization thing is such an interesting point to even bring up because I think that just exists across the spectrum of life yeah it also it's you become so hyper-focused on you and fertility because you are the patient and you are the carrier and you are the thing. And so when I say to somebody, how's your partner? How's your spouse? Like, how is this person doing with you and you being all these things? Because- and how's your relationship? Yeah. How, how are we going with each other? Are they okay? Are they struggling? Are they supporting you? Are they over it? And- I feel like one, people are often shocked, you know, when I bring it up and they're like, oh, 
oh yeah that other person how yeah and then they're excited to talk about it because nobody's asking those questions and uh two sometimes they have no idea i don't know i mean i guess Mm -hmm. he's okay i mean i guess i mean she just wants me to have what i want and it's like you probably want to relate to each other Mm -hmm. like let's you go home and talk to him and say how are you doing or you ask her you know is this what you want to like get it out there well Mm -hmm. one of my favorite fertility podcasts i listen to i know i talk to about it all the time the egg whisperer podcast love her dr amy she's a reproductive endocrinologist and she's in the bay area and she recently on a podcast episode said one of the first things she does with couples now is she asks them a question like if this isn't successful like what percent do you think you're y'all are going to be together at the end of this and she said like shocked see like how many couples are like one will say like 90 percent sure uh, the other one will say like 20 percent sure like it's shocking so that gives her a starting point to be like hey we're gonna need some extra support here we're gonna mm-hmm. need to go you guys will need to see a mental health counselor like we need to get right. those relationship but she says one of the first questions she asks her couples now which i just think is fascinating and also i adore that about her that she is immediately invested <clears throat> in the mental health of her patients. I just love that. I don't think you find that with doctors ever. Yeah. It's really sad. And it's one of the reasons why people feel so just hopeless, um, trying to get adequate medical care. Like that's the general state of, you know, I, I see, um, clients with chronic pain issues or autoimmune and that's like one in six now too, you know, so we're looking at, yeah, epidemics again, there's no, that, that compartmentalization, doesn't exist, but you've, you're trying to like do case management for half a dozen different practitioners that would, it would really benefit all of them. And especially, you know, the patient to have that underlying connection. And, you know, one of the things I was, I heard as I was listening to you talk is that a lot of these conversations in couples are like one and done. Oh, we're committed to each other. Check that box. Yeah. We're never going to totally, we're never going to reach another relationship again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Oh, you're satisfied with our sex life now? Check. And right. it's like, you know, I, I think a big part of sex therapy is learning how to communicate about really anything, but especially a, a subject that brings up vulnerability and, you know, hangups like sex. And, um, you know, if you can give and receive feedback in your relationship about other things, it makes it a little bit easier, but still sex can be a tricky thing to talk about and later in relationships but you know initial stages of a relationship you're talking about sex a lot you're sexting each other and 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 talking about it in your mind like imagination is such an important function of desire anticipation and imagination which is why i'm so big on like somatic therapies and and imagination and is is a super part of being a mentally healthy person y'all know my whole left brain feel but being being able to be creative and present and imaginative about what you want is is a facet of being a mentally healthy person and i think in infertility it become like the brain that part of the brain just gets shut down and it's right brain and it's walk a tightrope and it's um do it the right way and eat the right things and you know have the sex on the right day and like it becomes so right brain and the left side of your brain is just like use me, man, put me in coach. Um, like I can help you with this. And this is why 
you know, meditation and mindfulness and, and exercise and somatic experiencing and intimate conversations and, you know, anything creative, um, that all that left brain stuff can be so valuable because it can, it can be a reminder that there's this whole part of you that, um, naturally will elevate your healing. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes when I say creativity, people are like, but how do I do that? What does that look like? They want an outline. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this is kind of uh, negating the purpose, like put on music and have a dance party and try to be as dumb as possible. There, there's your assignment. Um, You know, get out of doing it right and get into celebrating doing it wrong or human or, you know, in the moment. And, um, and so, yeah, it's interesting now that I met, uh, you know, 12 step, recovery program and also supporting psychedelic assisted therapy, which is a big part of getting into the left side of the brain. Um, I'd like to stay on the full spectrum there. Um, but I, again, you know, you don't need to use mind altering substances to access the left side of the brain, but these medicines and substances can certainly be a helpful part of accessing that area of the brain in a really powerful and intense way, but you can do it in a lot more subtle subtle ways. Um, and you know, these conversations, um, happen really naturally because you're almost on drugs when you're in the early stages of relationship, right? Like, Oh, we're going to have, and you're imagining and everything. And like, you're imagining with vivid detail, how perfect this person is and how you're perfect in their eyes. And it's a whole projection. Um, but it really is like when you look at brain state brain scans of the brain states in, in early romantic love, um, it, it looks like these people are on drugs, right? Um, and we've all felt that, hopefully. Um, it's a really juicy, beautiful part of the human experience. And, you know, I think a big part of lo- long-term committed monogamous relationships is not expecting to stay in that state, right? Because judging mind will want to compare it. Well, you used to, and it used to feel like this. Not comparing it from a judgmental space, but really being creative about how can I bring some of that back? What's something that we used to do that really used to light us up? Like, could we dance in the kitchen? Could we, you know, what are the, the times where when we used to really talk that it felt like conversation just flowed? And sexting and talking about sex and anticipating sex um, is such a big part of feeling desire. And I think, you know, um, so one of my favorite is Esther Perel. Love and her. I recommend that everybody watch my talks. Um, she wrote a book called Mating in Captivity, which I think is a phenomenal title. And she grew up in a community of Holocaust survivors. And she talks about, she coined the phrase erotic intelligence. You know, everyone was talking about emotional intelligence. And so she started talking about erotic intelligence and how eroticism and desire is really, she's like, you know, growing up in a community of Holocaust survivors, I saw that there were people that lived, they just didn't die. And there were people that began living again. And, you know, erotic, having an erotic life that is full and free and healthy means feeling safe enough to really receive and really celebrate life and really lean into it. And if you're in the throes of grief with infertility, a grief that is kind of an attack on your worthiness, then woof. I mean, even just saying that sentence. That's a really amazing sentence. Grief 
that's and that is an attack on your worthiness. On your and, and it, you know, that group, when I was sitting with the, the women that are participating in the fertility resort, I was just like, you know, my heart ached for them of like to experience grief, to feel so alone in it and to also feel like it's your fault in a way that no grief really ever feels like it's your fault. Like this is like the most exaggerated form of feeling at fault and really feeling like your body's at fault or your body's betrayed you. Like you have this dream and this longing and your body's not cooperating. So, you know, there's just this like shutdown that happens in the physical body in the way that that grief, that's an emotionally appropriate response that you wouldn't feel fully safe receiving or celebrating or feeling sexy. Right. I think too, I think about just myself, even selfishly in this and I, there's so much of it that is you let yourself down like you blame yourself even though you can't blame yourself and they say you can't blame yourself and everybody's telling you you can't blame yourself you're still gonna blame yourself that's just what like that's the human nature human nature you're gonna blame yourself it's your body you're in control of your body like that's just what's gonna happen but I think the really unfortunate part about dealing with intimacy with your partner or dealing with intimacy at all when you're going through infertility is that so much of it is just you have completely lost confidence in yourself. Like Mm -hmm. that is what it is. And if you, I, just me, I have lost confidence in myself. My body does, isn't doing what it was literally meant and to do, right? You know, we're all animals at the end of the day, we were meant to reproduce. We were eat, sleep, take a shit, have sex. Like that is like what we were put on this earth to do, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think when you can't do that, when you can't reproduce, you lose all confidence because not only do you lose confidence in yourself emotionally to provide for your partner, what you want to provide, which is a baby Mm -hmm. body has lost everything. You think about your body, anything that you love from before, you're not going to have anymore, which is unfortunate. You are going to gain weight. It is just inevitable in the fertility process. You are going to feel like crap. And so the last thing that you want to do, even you, even if you know it's the thing that you really need to do to stay healthy is have sex because you just have lost all confidence in the way you look, in the way you perform, in the way that you do everything. And I'm saying this from like a personal perspective. That's what it has always felt like to me is that like, how could I possibly perform for whatever or ask for whatever when I can't even get it to do the one thing that it was made to do, right? Which is carry a legacy. It's very strange and it's all very wrapped up in grief and loss and loss of your, you know, your physical sexual self, like the ability to have fun in that. And now I'm talking on a tangent. Um, I love it. I think it's a really worthy and important tangent. And, you know, um, you having fun. Yeah. Saying that to have fun with it, like that infertility story really does it becomes a fun vortex. Like there's just nothing Mm -hmm. feels fun when you're so profoundly um, feeling unworthy and feeling Mm -hmm. all those losses. Yeah. And I think a big part of healing in the space of grief, like one of the things that you both have very consciously created in your partnership is we want to have a space to talk about grief that isn't so heavy and cumbersome. Like we want to be able to, use amusement as a powerful therapeutic tool. And when we, you know, when I talk about amusement as a therapeutic tool, again, I'm talking about the left side of the brain. Right. So, you know, judging mind is like the brain's default setting. 
we, the way the human brain works is it's designed to categorize incoming information very quickly so that we can discern whether it is a threat or not a threat. Like our survival depends on the brain's ability to do this. And while this process is very efficient, it happens very quickly. Um, it lacks on the accuracy scale. So, you know, judging mind is going to say like, I can't feel this. It's not safe to have fun right now. Um, you know, I'm a failure. I'm at fault. Somebody's got to be at fault here. You know, I'm going to blame God. I'm going to blame myself. Maybe I'll have some resentment towards my husband, you know, or whatever. But ultimately, it's just a cycle of blame, which is is really unproductive. Um, it doesn't allow anybody to take ownership for what they can own and do something about. And then, you know, practicing that acceptance. But on the opposite end of the judgment spectrum, you know, in terms of how we can process incoming information, there's curiosity. It's kind of the opposite of judgment of like, hmm, what, what can I learn from this? What is this grief asking of me? What do I need in order to feel safe enough in my body again? What would that look like? What do I need in order to feel worthy of asking and talking about my needs and exploring them and maybe even getting them met? And I think curiosity, creativity, amusement, they're all soul sisters, you know, um, and they can create a really beautiful healing party. <laughs> and I don't think healing always has to feel serious and cumbersome and, you know, like heavy. It just, it can be, can be at its most powerful when it's not something that we want to run and hide from. Like, I fucking don't want to feel my heavy feelings again. Okay. Don't dance them out. You know, come into a circle of women where you can like laugh about it and comfort each other. And I think that's one of the things that's so hard in this environment right now is that sort of politically correct whitewashing where if anyone is feeling a feeling of discomfort, then mm -hmm. none of us should have mm -hmm. a celebratory mood mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. an inappropriate response to their discomfort. But right. then that takes away all of that, all of the, the, the levity, the laughing while you're crying, the way to actually feel something other than just heavy sadness. And Brian and I talk about this all the time, like even like in social media yes, and trying to yes, make yes. posts. And uh, if you get good news, but your friend is suffering with infertility and you're pregnant and now she's not, and are you allowed to talk about that? And you're not supposed to talk about that because she's sad and you can't be happy. And this culture that we're in has really handcuffed everyone and taken amusement and comedy and just, I mean, I'm either going to drive off the cliff or I'm going to laugh until I think I'm going to cry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'd rather laugh until I cry than drive off the cliff. That's a yeah. better alternative. But when you take that away from people, they have nothing except the heaviness and the sadness. And for some reason, we all act like, well, this is just where we should be. No, mm -hmm. that's, there's no healing in that. That's mm -hmm. just like a doom spiral. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one poor thing that social media has done with the infertility community is it's made it so you have to apologize to your fellow community members for being happy or for getting success or for getting positive news. You have to walk on eggshells around them or put up a trigger warning or do something to have any sort of semblance of joy in this. And I don't like that. I don't, I, I just feel like that's, it doesn't do anything to do that, right? Like, I get it. When we're 
I've been in those places where seeing every pregnancy announcement is heartbreaking. Um, you know, like I get that feeling, but I also don't because I just don't like that. You have to temper your own happiness for the ones that are around you who are in the same boat as you, you know, the people that should be rooting for you. Oh my God, she knows what it feels like. And she's finally gotten success. We should be happy for her, for him, for them. Like, you know, that is just what it should be. But I feel like social media has made this weird environment where you can't do that. You have to put up a trigger warning before you can put up a positive pregnancy test or have a pregnancy announcement. You know, it, you know, it's like the same thing I see. It's like, guard your hearts for the next slide. And it's like, Ooh, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? And it really, I don't know. I just feel like social media has created this strange environment that is, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Oh, and you lose spontaneity and you lose Ooh. the exquisite, bittersweet, human experience right like we're we're kind of sequentially taking out those pieces of ourselves and trying to homogenize us into this sort of weird but when you get rid of all the valleys you get rid of all the peaks and then everyone's just going to be essentially like behaving as if we're all clinically depressed when we're not we just aren't allowed to it's like footloose right like you can't have mm-hmm. you know, don't dance don't celebrate don't do this well then what's the point if we're mm-hmm. not allowed to do any of those things with each other anymore because somebody somewhere is not feeling good today then how are we ever going to get them to join us in the dance mm-hmm. and in the celebration mm-hmm. i just it's it's so sticky it's a weird place that we live in right now where we have to uh, you know, you have to edit, you have to edit your conversations when you talk out loud. And that's partly what we said about protected space is that we didn't want to do that. I didn't want to feel like, oh, well, you know, we can only have uncomfortable conversations that are heavy and sad. And, and what's no, I, I'm a levity person like you, Colleen, like amusement. And, and sometimes that's all I can think of is mm-hmm. just, this is so ludicrously horrible mm-hmm. that it's, hilarious if this was a tv show you know it would be a dark comedy right and that's how a lot of people deal so i feel like there's so many people that are really having a hard time dealing because they're not allowed to use that kind of expression yeah or at least you know it's frowned upon Uh yeah i'm so tired of being frowned upon absolutely and that was one of the i think the most energizing aspects of our initial meeting and that conversation that we had that day was that you were like, we're not in the business of creating a space where we're tiptoeing around offending people. Like, I hope we offend people, <laughs> you know, with with a, a new way of thinking and relating and talking about infertility and a new way of serving the community in a way that they haven't been served before. Um, and- I have to give myself a pep talk before I do something or write something. I have to say to myself, like, Karen, get offensive. Like mm-hmm. enough with the likability thing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get where you want to go if likability is at the forefront of of what's steering you. Mm-hmm. So I'll read a post and then be like, okay, get offensive. Like use the big words. Say the things that are going to ruffle some feathers mm-hmm. and deal with the fallout because that is how you're going. That's how you want to lead this. And But I have to constantly remind myself, that's okay. 
It's okay if not everybody likes it. It's okay if not everybody likes you. It's okay mm-hmm. if somebody says, gosh, I think she sucks at what she does. Well, then you don't listen. Don't listen. It's fine. But yeah, that's a lot. It is. And, you know, I I think it can, you know, we, we've been like quieted to quiet our desires and our, our wants and our longing, like, and it, that, that happened before social media was so big too, but now it's like, well, everybody's listening mm-hmm. and how dare you? So I would be remiss if I didn't mention sensate focus and the topic of, um, sex and, and healing. Um, so it's, it's kind of the OG of, um, sex therapy and it's been around since the seventies and, uh, it really hasn't changed that much. Um, and so, and, and I really think it's a quality way of reclaiming your experience of sensation. Um, it's basically like mindfulness for sex and you can access a ton of information on the sensate focus practice via a Google search. So I won't like regurgitate the whole step-by-step process, but I will say a little bit about what is valuable about it. Basically takes the experience of sex and, and separates the outcome of orgasm from it, which, you know, American (laughs) heterosexual (laughs) sex is very goal oriented. And I like, the goal just as much as the next person. But I think when we are so focused on the goal, we lose our relationship to the process. And I think especially if you're feeling a lot of heaviness in your body and a lot of grief, it can be really helpful. It doesn't, you don't even have to use the whole modality. You don't have to say, we're going to do like a six week process. Um, you could, if you wanted to, um, but I think that you can find a lot of value from like, would I just like to be held in this moment? Like, could I ask for just like to be spooned? Um, could I ask for like a makeout session? Uh, could we dance? You know, like, could we do yoga together? Like, what's something that we could get back into our bodies and, and like, you know, have fun together? What would that look like? Um, Even holding hands. Yeah. I love holding hands. Hands is great. There's so many holding things hands. that are underrated. Yeah. Once like gone, had a home run, you know, that we just like, well, we're never going to go back through first place, first base again. Or if we do, we're going to be busting ass to get, <laughs> to get that done. <laughs> and um, like, let's just dance around first base for like, you know, a whole week if we want to. It's not about and the win. It's how you play the game. Ding, ding, ding. And, and so, you know, like being able to, first of all, I think there are so many preliminary aspects, uh, ingredients that can allow you to access that space in your relationship. One is being able to have a voice. One is feeling worthy enough to use that voice. Um, and, and two is the realization not to put more pressure on, but like, if you don't, learn to use your voice and connect to like, okay, I'm worthy of healing. Start there. I'm, I'm worth the effort to, to change the dynamic or to feel better. Or, you know, even like, I want my relationship to be better. If, if, you know, putting yourself first feels too scary or big, like, 
okay, I want my marriage to be healthy for both of us. I want my marriage to be a place where we can both fill up and feel rejuvenated. And like, we need this healing space for us with everything that we're going through. And so not from a pressured place, but from an invitation of like, if you don't use your voice and you don't begin to practice the art of, you know, befriending your worthiness and your self-worth, then nobody can do that for you. And, you know, the relationship will suffer. And, um, and so really as a, as an invitation to kind of get over yourself, so to speak, with the negative self-talk of like, okay. And, and I think owning that can be a really healthy part of the in and through that. Like, you know, you have to go in and through it to get to the other side. And, and whenever I'm going to say something vulnerable or move through something that's really heavy, I don't pretend to have it mastered and say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I deserve this and I want this and I'm, you know, I'm like oozing with self-worth or confidence. I just say, man, I feel like shit and this is really hard and I don't feel worthy of asking for what I need right now, but I know that I need to. So I'm going to fumble through it. I'm going to fumble through asking for what I need. And I think we should make a, you know, so you can come up with a a system that works for you, but sometimes it's nice just have a a weekly meeting. It doesn't have to be long, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes where you say, what do you need from our relationship? What are you longing for? And both of you have a space to share and maybe make it so that the other person can't respond or doesn't have to respond so that there's not that pressure um, to like meet the needs instantly or oftentimes if somebody says a need, the other person in the relationship might have a, a response of defensiveness. And so the 24 hour no response period is one of my favorites, um, especially for me because I love to give feedback, but receiving feedback is a whole thing. Um, and then, and so that 24 hour period, my ego gets to have a whole parade of like, but you didn't, and I should have, and huh, you know, like the, all the explanation and the rationalization and the defenses get to like have their moment. And then, you know, the following 24 hours, I can be like, okay, yeah, that checks out. Or that was his experience. You know, I don't have to explain or rationalize why it happened or, or take ownership for it. Like he could just have his own experience of reality. And I think with men, there's a lot of pressure to like meet the needs of their partner and make their wife feel okay. And they have no idea. They are not taught how to provide emotional comfort. And so they really could benefit from us, you know, like helping them help us kind of thing. Um, but if we're not using our voice, that's not happening. The the feedback can happen totally separate from the sexual relationship. And it might not always, you know, be that you have a sexual need, but um, you can be better skilled at owning your sexual needs if you can own other needs in the relationship or in your life. Um I'm really needing to be held or needing to feel heard or needing to know that you see me without trying to fix me. Uh, And those are really helpful. You know, those are basic human needs. So (laughs) it's a great place to start. I think that that's a really great point to make just in general that, you know, opening up the door to have a conversation about sex could start with just intimacy and just like, what are the things that I need in order to feel intimate? Like, or in order to feel, you know, worthy of intimacy. Like I need you to hear me when I say, I need you to do the dishes or I need you 
to like step it up and help me do XX. Like I think mm-hmm. having those conversations are so important and I think they're all tied to sex. I do. I think whether you feel you need to feel seen, you need to feel heard, you need to be held, you need to be all of those things are a part of intimacy that lead to sex. And if you can't do the very foundational things that the basic human needs of a person and you don't feel comfortable asking for that, how could you possibly be comfortable to talk about sex? Comfortable enough to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't know. I think there's also a place, especially in like the throes of the infertility cycle, where the stress response is reactionary in all three zones. You're in fight, you're in flight, and you're in freeze. Like all at the same time, it just depends on which person, which angle we're talking about in that moment, right? So there's hyper irritability and you're just generally frustrated and angry and pissed off and all the things you have big feelings but at the same time I don't want to talk about it I don't want to think about it anymore I don't want to hear about it I just I want to go on vacation and then at the same time like I'm on this perpetual treadmill I can't seem to get off every decision feels like the wrong one I'm just stuck here I am frozen in my body and I don't know how to make any changes And so figuring out how to relate to another human being who might be having all three of them themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird battleground where, you know, you're fighting about it or you're ignoring it or like nobody feels like they're able to be assertive in a way that's not going to be misconstrued or invalidated. You know, if, if the, if the partner advances for sex and then the other person is like, how can you be thinking of that right now? Like, that's the last thing in the world I want. And then that person's like, oh my gosh, but this is what I kind of, and they just lose all relatability. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. two people that are experiencing the same things, but not at the same time and not in mm-hmm. the same way. And it's so volatile that everyone's just like, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> right, right. Like, we won't well, and, talk, and when we're naturally, they'll just, just, and that's how they end up in divorce. Right. And like, we're naturally wired to move away from what feels like something we can't effectively do. Like if it feels like it's hurting us. So like, you know, avoidance um, can just be s- such a appropriate emotional response. Like, okay, well, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, so I want to unpack like sex and and spontaneity because I think that that is a really shitty myth that we have. It's like sex is supposed to be spontaneous. Like fuck that. Um, If anything is going to happen in our modern world, it's going to be scheduled. (laughs) Said what I I said. I mean, if you get a spontaneous one, good on you. Right. Yeah. That's probably the exception and not the rule. Right. And so scheduling time for connection, whether that looks physical, emotional, whatever, like starting where you are and, and beginning to unpack that. And again, early in the relationship, it was like, I can't wait to rip your clothes off. Like when I see you, I'm going to fuck you. Like, or what, you know, it's like, it was not, there was not a mysterious, spontaneous, I mean, maybe it felt spontaneous in the moment because you weren't sure what was going to happen next. Um because you were still getting to know the other person's moves. Um, now it's like, I know your moves, I know exactly um, what this is going to look like. Because what happens in monogamous relationships often is like, 
here are the things that I like, here are the things that you like, and here's the small space where they overlap. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so we're just going to do this really quickly until we both, or one of us has an orgasm, you know? Um, and so, you know, a big part of bringing that creativity into it is like, what do you need in this moment? What do you like in this moment? And, and, be, and being willing to discover each other in the actual moment. And, and one of the things I was, um, I, I heard as I was listening to you talk, Erin, is, um, you know, something that I point to often when I look at relationships is this concept of dual realities. And it's like two people could be in a snowstorm, right? And one could be like, I fucking love the snow. This is exhilarating. Best day ever. And one's like, oh my God, I'm on the brink of death. I hate the shit. I hope I die. Um, so, you know, these two people experiencing the same reality, you know, these realities aren't in competition with one another. So the fact that this person is experiencing this based on this reality doesn't mean that this is less true or real. And the opposite person's reality doesn't make the other person's less valid. It doesn't invalidate it. And so... That's what the 24-hour no-response feedback system offers us, is that I get to view your reality without my ego defense, wanting to deflate it or compete. So I can just hear your experience of reality without adding mine. I mean, it's so simple, but revolutionary because our egos are so strong, especially when we're in fight, flight, freeze, you know, especially when we're triggered. Ego's like, I'm going to protect, you know, this fragile state. And so it's this scared small version of ourself that gets really big in order to like ensure our safety. And so the ego is not a bad thing. I think it's really important not to villainize it, but just to see it for what it is. Okay. All right. Okay. Cute. You're really coming in hot. Um, you need a hug, you know, sit in the backseat with some snacks. You don't get to like drive the car <laughs> um, or control the GPS because every time ego will take you to like, you know, shitty town where it's like self-pity or self-deprecation or, um, or conflict, you know, um, it, it's, it's a pretty guarantee, like where it's going to go if it gets the power. So being able to see it as a, a part of yourself that needs to be nurtured, but not a part of yourself that needs to be making decisions. And that's super helpful for me in my relationship because, you know, my marriage triggers my insecurity and vulnerability shit all the time because it's marriage. Um, and like, so every time I've got a quick response, almost always know that it's ego. Mm. And, um, and, and so I'm like, okay, let me just pause on that and wait until a more healthy response arises. Like one that's considerate of an alternate version of reality crazy idea. Um, and it's so easy for me to listen deeply and validate other people. <laughs> I'm not married to, um, so, you know, or, or tell other couples to use certain techniques and, you know, communication skills. Um, <laughs> and then when it's, it, it, if I wait until it feels comfortable to use my voice and articulate my needs, I'm never going to do it. So for me, it's a knowing of, okay, what does it look like? What does it feel like for me when I'm in, when I'm presented with this growth opportunity to break free from the cycle that I'm normally relating in my relationship or to navigate this kind of fight, flight, freeze trigger in a way that is healthy for the relationship, you know, as a whole. Um, and being able to be creative about that is so important. But um, 
yeah, the concept of dual reality is, is, a, is a big one for me. And, um, and I, I usually need 24 hours. I remember in my couples counseling sessions, um, with my husband, my therapist constantly like coaching me on not getting defensive. And I, and I like wanted to be a good client so bad, you know, cause like, she's so <laughs> smart and I really like admire her. Um, but it was like the classic resistant, annoying. <laughs> I was like, this is really not great for my ego. Um, but it was great for my marriage. She's a great, a great therapist, a great clinician. And she has a lot of confidence in her approach. So she really gets in there. And she was like, that's a defense. That's a rationalization. You're using sarcasm as a defense. I'm just sweating on the couch. Um, and I remember saying to her like, okay, I'm not getting defensive anymore outwardly, but like every part of me inside is dying a slow, painful death. Will there ever be a moment where I feel inauthentically, like where I feel authentically, you know, not defensive. She was like, yeah, just keep doing it. Fucking year later, y'all. <laughs> a year. 365 days. I still remember the day we were like walking out of the house for, to go to some Christmas family thing or whatever. And, um, I was definitely being a bitch, um, and blaming and, you know, like nobody was ready. And, and so we got in the car and Steve said, when you talk to me like that, I, I really feel defeated. Mm. He's using his like, you know, when you, I feel, uh, cause he's a great client. Okay. <laughs> he's such a responsive client. Um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, like that. I wasn't like, but the kids weren't ready and you should have and huh. I was like, yeah, like that would suck to be walking out the door and have your partner talk to you like that. Okay. And I was like, it's happening. <laughs> Look at me. I'm growing. And, um, and I mean, it felt so good. And so I say this not from like, I've arrived and I'm like a, my ego just totally stays in the backseat and I'm just such a highly, you know, enlightened being. <laughs> um, I say this from a place of like, yeah, doing this work is sometimes grueling and um, uncomfortable, but it always yields the ability to feel safer and more comfortable and more yourself in the moments when you really need it. And when you're going through infertility, you really need to have moments where you can feel yourself and feel comfortable and feel comforted and feel connected. And, um, and so while it's like the shittiest way to get there, um, you know, it can be a really beautiful opportunity to, the stakes are higher, right? And needing connection within your, within your relationship with the person that you're actually going through this with. Right. I think that that, I mean, I think you're absolutely spot on about all of that. And I think it just reemphasizes how few tools are really out there for infertility patients to actually recognize that they need help more than likely outside of what they can get directly from their clinic, you know, that they mm. do need these tools and help and mental support from, to like learn how to grapple with what they're going through. You know, I think that that just highlights how the complexity of the journey and mm-hmm. asking for help is okay. And they should be able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, you know, let us remember that because of the, age group and I mean a lot of these women maybe this is the first time that they've ever had this kind of hardship they might not ever have had the need for any kind of therapeutic intervention and so this is a big you know it's a big horse to fall from 
Right. And, and to not have developed any kind of a skill set for dealing with the life stuff that they already have, but they still haven't, you know, I mean, if, if you're in your early 20s, I know I was not very, like, I hadn't even thought about doing the work yet, let alone started really doing the work. And, and I mean, and if that's where you are when you start discovering your infertility story, I mean, you just don't have the resources mm-hmm. to manage that. And well, so, so many guys, I mean, oh. so many, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt either, but like, it's so many of these women have never experienced grief yet that this mm. is first right. experience with true profound grief. And how many of us are equipped to handle that? Nobody mm-hmm. is more equipped to handle grief. But- or if you have handled grief, you probably have some unresolved grief, trauma, processing, loss, all the, already there. And this is just fuel to the fire. I mean, what right. an like an, a huge exacerbation of any type of ego protective that's already existing in you that has not been healed already. And now we just lit a fire underneath it. Because mm-hmm. everything about fertility is just so deeply challenging to the deepest parts of you or your partner or your spouse. They're- yeah, and I think – oh, go ahead. Last week in group um, – something that happened two weeks ago in group, I think. Um, somebody, one of, the, one of the women, she said, you know, I think the hard part that I have with the infertility journey is that – you know, I've had someone close to me pass away and as much grief as I felt then, I felt like there was closure and that I was able to grieve and then move. And then I've moved on, not moved on from the grief, but I was able to close the chapter at least because there was a definitive ending with infertility and grief. It just goes on and on and on and on. And there is no ending to it. You know, the ending is hopefully when you have that baby in your arms, but then the grief restarts again when you think about, well, I'm going to have to do this again if I want to have another baby. So it just keeps going and it goes and it goes and it goes. And there's no way to really close that chapter. Like you can kind of do with death, you know, like can kind of like, it's been like my process is my dad passed away last year and I absolutely love my dad more than anything. And I feel like I've been able to heal from that far more productively than I have from infertility because it just hasn't ended. You know, there is, it's still every single day, something that I'm going through. And I thought that was really an interesting way to look at it. Um, you know, when this member was talking about how her, how she was processing through her own grief of it is that it just, mm-hmm. there's no expiration date and there's no closure because it just goes on until hopefully, hopefully you bring a baby home. And even then, it's not necessarily the end. No. And there's always the wondering of like, what about the babies that I lost? I mean, having a baby doesn't, doesn't change the grief for like what infertility took from your relationship. Sure. It's like all these intangible griefs of like, I lost my will to like connect with my husband. And, and that took, you know, that infertility took this from me. And so, you know, what I was hearing as I was listening to you talk is that, you know, the death of a loved one followed a more traditional, you know, roadmap of grief. Right. And so you were allowed 
to grieve. You had community support. You had a funeral. You there was a eulogy. You know, there was like, and there were people reaching out to you saying like, you know, wow, is there, do you need anything? I'm with you. Like, you know, like connecting, your community was connecting to you. And, um, and it was a, it was a grief that was unavoidable. Right. Nobody's fault that your dad was old and died. I'm sorry to be sensitive, but that's, you know, like people die when they're old and that's, we come to expect that. And even, even in that, like, I think our, our culture, even in the traditional, you know, kind of roadmap of grief, I think we have a phobia of grief and nobody wants to say the wrong thing. So they say no thing. And, you know, like, we're allowed to say like one thing, sorry for your loss, but nothing else because we don't want to be insensitive or, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. And now I think because we've evolved in our discussion of grief, people are aware that sorry for your loss sucks. I don't even want to say that. I mean, it's just like, you can't win for losing. So um, I think even our traditional roadmap of grief, there's a lot of room for improvement as a culture for how we understand and relate and integrate that. And, um, you know, you take a, the, the grief that lives within the infertility journey and there's so much more isolation. Yeah. There's so much more uncertainty about how long the road is and there's so much less ceremony. Mm-hmm. There's no ceremony. Um, there's no, yeah zero. Um, like, you know, you get the new, and then like some people make a post about it, but even that, you know, there's not like a gathering. There's not, you know, that support showing up for you. There's not a warmth. There's not a human connection element to it. And so, yeah, it's, it's so much harder to make meaning of it and to understand it and to integrate it. And, um, you know, I think that the grief piece is certainly connected to the, you know, sex and, um, relationship piece and there's, you know, Esther Burrell talks about how there's no mistake that she was like, you know, her early childhood, it was like, she was in a community of grieving people. And that's why she wanted to start studying erotic intelligence and start studying human relationships and start studying like, okay, well, what is it that gives people a foundation where they feel safe enough to like own their wanting right and what does that look like and how can we begin to teach people how to come back to life in the midst of a world where death is a constant and in the fertility world it's like there's even though we know it's a guarantee in life it's you're getting slapped around by it um and it's um in in such a you know unpredictable messy roller coaster of emotions way but I definitely want to um, talk a little bit more about the sensate focus work and how that can look for an individual. So um, it doesn't always have to involve the the presence of a partner to practice these skills for mindfulness and giving and receiving touch. So you have a body and you have sensations and you know you can use your five senses to, and I suggest you do. Mm-hmm. Um, to practice self-touch and it doesn't always have to be erotic touch um and you know the shower is a great place to do this and um i saw on the blog that you wrote about atomic habits which um is um yeah i'm set i love to nerd out on the atomic habit stuff um but i love habit bundling with basic self-care practices like taking a shower in the wake of um 
you know, the roller coaster of grief, there's always release and always something that you can let go of. So when you're naked in the shower, it's a really convenient time to practice self-touch in a creative and conscious way. So as you touch your body, awakening, like, does it feel pleasurable to like massage my scalp in a loving way? Um, can I feel like luxurious in the way that I'm, you know, relating to myself and like caring for myself and I'm doing it anyway, like, so shower, but make it therapy, you know, <laughs> make it healing, make it therapeutic. And if it's something you're doing anyway, then all the fear-based talk about like, I don't have time, um, to love myself or, or practice self-nurturing or self-care can just like wash down the drain. Um, because, uh, you know, we have to make time to, to meet our basic needs. And so really being like, put on some beautiful music that you love and, um, and like, you know, get in there and, uh, <laughs> and have some fun with it and, and, and befriend your body of like, wow. Okay. Like, like I've had these breasts and they've been, they've been with me for a lot and my arms allow me to like carry things and, and, oh, my abdomen digesting all my food and just like, really like, okay, the, I'm, I'm the person that can take responsibility for my pleasure and you know and i can i can allow this shower to be an opportunity to like release any heaviness that i'm continuing to carry as a gift to any future children i may mother as a gift to like myself tomorrow so i can get out of the shower as someone who can welcome life and not in a pressure or blamey way right but in a creative ownership way like the opposite of blame is ownership instead of i'm at fault but that i can own that i'm responsible for how i choose to be in this moment and um and you know what can you own and what can you befriend ownership allows you to befriend blame just you're dead in the water if you're if self-blame or you're blaming someone else there's nothing it's a failure i'm a failure they're a failure they can't win but ownership is can own it i can befriend it i can nurture it back to a place that is is healthy and um and so you know self-touch I, I i think with the goal of orgasm can be really beautiful too but i think perhaps even more healing than that is not even for any goal and not even in like you know this is no secret this is like a my sacred shower and, you know, own it with your partner or husband of like, you know, I'm, I'm doing some practices to get in my body and, and really to feel like the best version of myself so that we can connect in a more meaningful way. And so you can own, like, I know I felt closed off and I know this has been hard and it's been confusing for us, but we, we have each moment to start again. And as long as y'all are both there, right? okay, we can choose to let go of what was our old patterns of relating or behaving or avoiding. And we can try to fumble through this new territory. And it may be uncomfortable and it may be hilarious. Um, and, and, you know, I really encourage that amusement of like, okay, let's fumble through it. Let's, you know, let's let it be clumsy and mysterious and awkward and, um, and just follow, okay, what feels like the next right step for us? Let's try to have a therapeutic conversation. What would, what can that look like? Um, and it may be heavy, but um, it also may be really funny or awkward or, you know, like it, let it be whatever it needs to be. Let it take whatever shape and, and really get in the creative process with that. So I think it does start with your relationship with yourself.
And um, there's some really simple ways to do that and really beautiful and fun ways to do that as well. Those were all really- Well, that might just be a live event. Yeah, I <laughs> love that. I feel like you just set the scene for the uh -huh. upcoming Colleen's Creativity for Infertility program we're going to do. I love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Creativity for Infertility, I'm here for it. I love that too. I think that would be such a powerful thing. Yep. That's what always happens when we get together in that one space. I know. Like, oh, there's the idea that we didn't know we needed to have. And it just showed up right on time. Right. Yep. And I think it is important to acknowledge what the ingredients are in a conversation like this. Like, we're, we're listening. We're, we feel safe with each other. We feel supported by each other. We're celebrating each other's strengths. And I think, you know, like, infertility is a relationship to your, the creative process, to your ability to create. Yeah. And so being willing to give birth to new ways of relating to yourself, new ways of relating to your partner, new ways of relating to your, your friends, your circle, new, new ways of relating to your body. Like that is that creative center and that energetic space in your body. And like bringing that to life and seeing it as powerful, disappointed or failed you or led you in a direction that was unexpected. And but it's still a part of you and it's still possible that that energy and that like, look at what you've given birth to with the fertility resort, BB. I mean, what a beautiful gift to the world. It's, it's not an infant human, but it's a, it's a baby mm -hmm. <laughs> business. Yeah. It's an entity that um, is creating this connection for, for women and creating a space where we can be creative about how to get our needs met and um, about what it looks like to connect with each other when we need it. Yeah, for sure. And so I, do I love it. I'm here for it. I'm so grateful to be, to play a small role in the, all the stages of it. I'm putting in my notes, creativity event and also ceremonies. Yes. We need to create ah. some prompts, this, right? Some rituals that people can do. Yeah. to open, to close, to move through. Like they just feel like that all that's just been lost in culture in general. So um, if it doesn't exist, let's just make some. And that way people can move toward those things and not have to make it up on their own. Because sometimes that's the most daunting thing is that blank canvas. Like I'd love to do it, but I don't even know how to start. Right. But if you give me the circle and the, you know, and the yeah. number, I can get in there. Well, and I think ceremonies and ritual were meant to be done in community. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we feel lost when we're trying to do it ourselves. Yeah. Because right. we were meant to show up for each other and have a container. And like, it's cool to do it on your own. If you have a ritual and you do it on your own, that's great. I love that for you. Um, and, but I think, you know, like, you know, this image of the witch, it has been like, the, you know, like an old crone and like, we, we've lost the you know, that identity of the woman, like creating a circle and creating a space for other women to gather and heal and for the community to gather and heal. And, um, the red and tent. Yeah. Yes. Where's our red tent for fertility? Mm -hmm. We gonna do it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I, I love like, we can make a little love and coven and, uh, and, <laughs> and, I love a love and, coven. and, and be creative about what, you know, we, we formed an LLC for a yoga community and someone else met, we called it the little love and coven. Um, uh, 
to yeah to birth ideas and and support each other in them and um you know it's it's such a necessary part of feeling alive and well and healthy and balanced and to release the shit that we need to release and to receive what we need to receive and it it's simple like rituals don't have to be elaborate they can be simple and powerful um, and I think sometimes the, sim- the simple ones are the best because they're the most attainable and realistic. You're right. Because even if you think about like the rituals of infertility, like the small like things that people have done, right? So like one of them is after your egg retrieval, you get McDonald's french fries. Like that's mm-hmm. a thing. But you're still doing that alone. You're not doing that with community. You're mm-hmm. still doing that. You're participating in that strange ritual. It's still alone. It's not with anyone else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the idea of that community aspect of ceremony and ritual is so important. It's just like like we were talking about earlier with death. I mean, you come together for a funeral, regardless of your religion, mm-hmm. it's still life is celebrated in a ritualistic fashion with community. And it's, I don't know, I think it's really important. It is, and it creates meaning for us. Like, you know, it's it's how we make sense of our experience and we're, we're wired to do it. And there's a reason it's because it allows us to stay well in all the twists and turns of the human experience. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful to be in community and in a a circle with you creative, strong, amazing women. Right back at you. Any final thoughts, Colleen? You have done so much today. We've talked about so many different things. I feel we like- have. Okay, so I'm not looking at the outline, but my one memory from the outline was you asked, does my husband love <laughs> <laughs> And I totally LOL'd at that, um, at that question. And I shared it with him, you know, and he just rolled his eyes. Um, but um, Steve and I are very different. Um, and, you know, but he is, um, very playful about the things that I'm serious about, like with the kids, I can, I can get into the seriousness about like getting their needs met and, you know, making sure they eat the certain things and sleep at the certain time and whatever. And he was like, he, like, he went to sleep on the dock with our six and a half year old, uh, two nights ago. And then they came in at 1am and <laughs> I'm just like, at the hail to the gnaw. Um, but, um, so he's playful about a lot of the things that I'm not playful or creative about. And, um, and the things that I get turned on about and playful and creative about like the healing process and poems and words, he like cannot even. <laughs> so um, I like to, I like to think that we are a good balance. Um, he certainly I certainly didn't hide who I was and he pursued me really heavily. So, um, so, you know, every time I'm like taking him to couples counseling, I'm like, you signed up for this. <laughs> you knew exactly who I was. Um, um, you know, <laughs> when you try to seal this deal. Um, but yeah, he, he's resistant <laughs> to thin fate focused stuff. Um, so it's like, we're not doing it like a step-by-step, like the, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing. <laughs> Our sex life is a, is like a really, I mean, you know, of course through kids and stuff, we've had to get better about scheduling it, but we do, we schedule it. <laughs> and if it happens additionally, you know, great, but we have our, 
and it's really like I'm the higher sex drive of in the relationship. I've been the higher sex drive in every relationship I've ever been in. Um, and it's hard for me to tease out if um, that's because I'm desperate for validation, like knowing that I'm desirable and that ties into my worthiness or um, if it's actually like a physical libido thing. Um, and, you know, I, but he, he's like, yeah, like everything in our household goes better when I'm getting laid. <laughs> and he's like, I'm very aware of that. Like if it, if we, if we skip a week or two, he's just like, <laughs> like the foundation is, is it's rumbling. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a cover the bases type thing, but, um, but he's, he's open to, to continuing to be creative and he's not open to big discussions about it, but the practice of it, he he loves like Thai massage and like, you know, it's often called lazy man. So it's like having yoga done to you. Um, he hates stretching, yeah. but he's like, mm, you stretch me out. So he likes like giving and receiving touch in that way. And so that's something that has been a whole part of our exploration and um he you know again I like to think that we're a good balance he definitely does not like to have nerd out and have lengthy conversations like this when I he helped me like set up some of the podcast stuff and you know was really supportive like got the kids out of the house when I was gonna in, and initially do it and um when I published it I was like so did you listen to it he's like yeah for like you know, the first minute just to make sure the sound quality was good. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I have suggested at times that we record a podcast together um, about some of these topics and because um, he does have a lot of really good ideas. Um, some of them I've forced him to have. Like, I'm like, here, I don't want to manage our relationship. You don't like it. You don't like me managing it. I don't like managing it you're good at things like you fucking figure it out and implement it. And I don't want to be like falling around, like we need to connect. Um, you know, so I'm like, here, you are a successful entrepreneur. You're capable of things like, let's do it. Let's do it your way. And if it, and if it fails, then, you know, that's on you. Uh, I'll participate, (laughs) but like, I'm tired of being the one carrying this. And so, you know, that was a need that I had after we had our second, um, I was like, I need you to, to carry this, um, and to like implement it and figure it out. And so, you know, he's a willing participant. Um, but like anybody, you know, has a, has a a different experience of like he, he'd be like, our marriage is great. Everything is fine. We never need to talk about it. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, but are you sure, (laughs) um, you know, like, do you really feel at ease and are you getting your needs met? Um, he's like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) when we first started dating, he said something like, um, nobody, before we met and started dating, nobody had ever asked me like who I was. Hmm. Like in his family of origin, he said his grandfather would ask him, he was like eight years old, like, what'd you get done today, Steve? Um, and I was like, well, okay, that's very telling. There's a lot to unpack there. But so, you know, he just is very practical minded and grounded but also super, super playful. So he's a, he's a good balance for our family and my woo woo. uh, (laughs) Love that. 
Well, we are just so thankful to have you on the TFR team. And for people who don't know that, Colleen is one of our licensed mental health providers here on the fertility resort team. And she does just really amazing work all around in the community and with us. And we're just so happy that she's here and that she took so much time out of her day to day to talk to us about sex and how, what a controversial and scary topic it can be, but that it shouldn't be. I think that that was my biggest takeaway today is that it just shouldn't be this scary thing. Like it's a thing that we do and it shouldn't be hard to have these conversations, particularly when you're going through infertility, but they are. Um, Erin, do you have any closing thoughts? No, no, I, I, I don't know. I'm very satisfied with all the things we talked about, but it always feels like, okay, well, that was the first level. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just yeah. did level one. Now yeah. get to the rest of it. Graduate to yep. step two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. But I do feel really inspired to think that this might be, it might be that it might be creating levels of accessibility for people to just tap into and figure out how to start taking those steps that they're just have been unable to take. That's the way I like to think about it. And I think the sensate stuff is really fascinating. And I love that. And I agree. I think that should be a whole event at some point in time, you know, yeah. relearning that or Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I encourage everyone to like look it up and do a little exploration and you know play around with it and make it yours. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, loved it. I, I enjoyed it so much. Anytime. Well, we'll take you up on that, obviously. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back for more. Yes, okay. sounds good. Okay. Part part two, three, and four. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Bye, y'all. The Protected Space Podcast is hosted by Erin Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by The Fertility Resort. To learn more about us, head over to thefertilityresort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at Protected Space Pod.